We're in a series here. We've broke, broken, broken away from our First Corinthians series just for a couple of weeks. And we're in a series called Keep Up the Fight. We started it last Sunday. And uh, we'll have one more week in this, and then we'll get back into First Corinthians again. But uh, today, sometimes we get so discouraged with things, whether it's politics or our country or our health, different things in the world. Um, sometimes we just want to throw up our hands and go, well, what's the use? <laughs> and uh, we have to be reminded that our life is not an exercise in futility, that God has a purpose and a plan. And so we're in Second Corinthians chapter 4, and we're looking at verse 17 today. Um, but when you think of futility, you think of something that's just... Uh, it's not worth it. I'm reminded of a Greek mythology, and there's a legend that a king named Sisyphus, he was the founder in Greek mythology of a city called Ephra. And uh, Ephra is actually uh, Corinth. Uh, and this king, he had a reputation for being violent and always being up to no good and somehow was always making people suffer and causing just havoc in people's lives. And somehow, on two different occasions, this king was able to cheat uh, death through his own trickery. And the gods were not pleased with his deceptive ways, the story goes. So they decided amongst themselves, the Greek gods, that they would punish Sisyphus. And uh, he would be required for all eternity to push an immense boulder up a hill. And every time it reached the top, when he thought he was done the boulder would roll back down to the bottom and he would have to start over again. Uh, he was, in effect, sentenced to an eternity of hard, hard labor, immersed, immersed in futility. If they really wanted to, him to experience futility, they could have had him find an honest news reporting agency <laughs> anymore that's an experience in futility so this was payback it was eternal futility for this king in this um, Greek mythology it's, futility is basically hard work that ultimately gets you nowhere hard work that gets you nowhere um, I'm sure we've all felt like that at times he felt like we were in a futile situation. Um, and I think that we're in this little series here, keeping up the fight for that very reason. We don't want to feel that our lives or our work for the Lord or anything else is something that is futile and not worth the fight. And so today we want to look at this, we look at this, and so I'd ask you to stand as I just read these verses for us, verses 16 to 18, in honor of God's word, you can follow along in your Bibles, it's just a good reminder for us. 
Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Father, we ask you to bless this verse today as we look at verse 17 specifically to our hearts and minds and just bless it and uh, build us up, edify us, encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we're dealing with sometimes those who may feel discouraged or disenchanted or disillusioned. With life, sometimes those who feel that life itself is an exercise in futility, like a rolling this heavy rock up a hill only to have it come back down. And I think of one person in the Bible, the, the person who wrote this book, actually Paul. Uh, why did not he lose heart? Why, why didn't he lose heart? Of all people, Paul was the one who most likely would have lost heart in the work of the Lord. And life, I think, for Christians in this fallen world is, is a mixture of joy, when we see God work in miraculous ways, and sorrow, <laughs> sometimes. It's a mixture of blessing and suffering. Sometimes we have tragedy, sometimes we have triumphs. Uh, for all people, fulfilling relationships, pleasant times, all those things, uh, are things that we desire in our lives. But Job himself in chapter 5, verse 7, said this man is born for trouble. Now some of you who are parents may say, well, that's true of my kids, that's for sure. (laughs) As the sparks fly upward. In other words, there's no way to to change this. Man is born for trouble. And, And that includes Christians. Even Christians are not exempt in any way uh, from trials or tribulations. I mean, the, the prosperity gospel, those who preach that would have you think that. But they have trials and tribulations just like every, everyone else. As a matter of fact, Jesus warned us in John chapter 16, verse 33, in the world you will have, what? Tribulation. You will have. It's not a, it's not a promise, it's a guarantee. It's, it's for sure. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, Paul and Barnabas instructed the young followers, the young believers. He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In other words, there's no way around this. Just because we become a Christian doesn't give us a guarantee us a bed of roses, a rosy little path that we can walk down every day and just be happy, happy in Jesus. No. Paul reminded even Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 or 3 verse 12 he said all who desire to live godly how many here desire to live godly lives I, I trust all of you if you're a believer you desire to live a life that's godly he says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted <laughs> will be persecuted Now, we know very little of that word persecution here in the United States. We think if someone doesn't laugh at our joke at the water cooler that we're being persecuted somehow, you know. That's not persecution. 
You have to go to some faraway lands sometimes to understand what persecution truly is. But we don't have a clue here in America what persecution is. I think there's a day coming that we will understand it more clearly. (laughs) But I don't think that day is here yet. In James chapter 1, verse 2, he wrote, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. It's the idea of cage-rattling trials of various kinds. It's not just one trial at a time. It's multiple trials bombarding you. And so sometimes disappointment, discontent, all this stuff, pain, grief, loss, whatever, um, will mark our life to some degree. And those who are capable to cope with these difficulties, the only reason they are capable is because they learn and they understand what it means to endure, to endure through those things. Um, just look at a page back in Second Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 8. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. We need to be reminded of that, that we do have a hope that is in Christ. And he continues there, he says in verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. It's interesting how the Christian life is filled with opposites. In order to live, you have to die. In order to have eternal life, you have to die to yourself and come to Christ. Verse 11, he says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And so he wants them to know that this is part of the process. This is what happens. Um, Psalm 37, David, verse 23 to 24, he says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. And then verse 24 says, Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. You know, that's the idea of the Lord holding on to us and sustaining us through all these things. Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Perseverance and faith in the midst of all their persecutions and afflictions which they endure. The Thessalonian church was going through major uh, afflictions and persecutions, and yet they endured through it. He told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Able to suffer hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, of all people in the Bible, he understood what it meant to endure probably some of the most difficult periods in, in an individual's life. He was persecuted. He was uh, just constantly being threatened. His suffering was very severe, more severe than most. 
And so he's a good example for us to look to as someone who has dealt with hardship and dealt with hardship in a a good way. Uh, It's hard to imagine anyone who suffered more in serious suffering and hostility and everything else than Paul. From his conversion on, he was the target constantly of opposition, of persecution. When he wrote the, the book of, of you know, 2 Corinthians, I mean, and 1 Corinthians for that matter, I mean, he could have certainly succumbed to a, a feeling of futility. Like, man, Lord, I'm trying everything here to do this right, and here I am and end up in prison? <laughs> what is going on? Uh, and we can all go there if we allow ourselves to. And so even though he experienced setback after setback, one disappointment after another, he remained confident, and frankly, he remained upbeat more than ever. And how did he do that? Well, last week we introduced this, and we said there's basically three don't-lose-your-heart realities. And first of all, the first one was life is a daily event. It's a daily event. It just continues day by day by day. You can't lose heart one day and figure, well, what's going to happen the next day? Um, it's a daily event. You've got to live it to the fullest each and every day. Secondly, the eternals of life are secondary, we said. Though our outer self is wasting away, and we see that uh, pretty much uh, everywhere. And it's not, it's not just, um, you know, one of us that's feeling that. All of us feel that to some degree. And I think it's, it's important that we understand that God desires us to be um, uh, not, not desiring to hold on to so much here, you know, because that's not what God's plan for us is. And so he wants us to really be... Um, understanding of the fact that you know this life is temporary and we we go through it and it's it's something that we need to continue to 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 remind ourselves of then number number three we said renewal needs to happen on a daily basis and this is what paul did and this what really uh, restored him each and every day it helped him each and every day when he was trying over and over to deal with all these things that were going on in his life and we said that he renewed his mind, but he renewed his spirit, and he renewed his heart. And we gave you kind of practical steps that you can do that. But the second reason is not just because he renewed his mind, and this brings us to the message today, is that he, refre- he refused, Paul refused to surrender to futility. He never fell back on, you know what, what's the use? Here I am out there just trying to disciple these people and build these churches. And now the Corinthian church has gone down the tubes. And now here I am, I'm stuck in prison. I got guys out there preaching false messages. And, you know, I could see where the Apostle Paul real quickly could just look at the, the, the bars from his prison cell and just go, what's the use, Lord? What's the use? And he never did that. And I think all of us, to some extent, Every follower of Jesus Christ will face a situation in life where you could almost justifiably ask yourself, what's the use in this? Why do I put myself through this? 
We try, we try, we try, we don't get anywhere. And sometimes it just seems futile. And just as I've thought I've made some progress in my life and I'm thinking I'm winning the victory, then all of a sudden, what happens? The boulder rolls back to the bottom of the hill and I gotta start all over again. So why bother at all? You know, you may be here this morning on the verge of losing heart. Maybe you've lost heart. I mean, we've been through a rough stint the last 18 months in our country with this virus and everything going on. And finally, there's some return to normalcy to some degree. But still, there are those cheering, no, we don't want to go back to the the normal life. You know, and we still have a steep climb ahead of us economically and other, in other ways. And there are a lot of people who are just not plain optimistic about it at all. They're very, very pessimistic. And so we've been tempted to give up, give up on our country, give up on the crooked political process that we see all around us. We're, we're tempted at times to say, you know what, it's, it's futile even to try. I've, I've even heard Christians say, I'm never going to vote again. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. That's the wrong attitude to have. Um, I get it. It's a broken system. But if we don't stand up and try to fix it, then... That is being futile. There's more to life, a lot more to life, than what we observe from our limited point of view. There's so much more. And we don't always see that. And we can learn to see that kind of a vision of life and each difficult day we endure when we learn to understand it from God's eternal perspective. We don't have the mind of God yet. We don't have the mind of Christ yet. We're still in the process of our sanctification. We're just seeing one little sliver in time. And this is why Paul Paul didn't lose heart. And it's why we don't need to lose heart either. We need to look at things, view things through God's eyes, through God's eternal perspective. And that's why Paul says, don't lose heart. And it's not an option here. It's saying since we don't lose heart, as Christians, we, we don't lose heart. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, one translation says. See, regardless of how it may sometimes seem, life is not futile. It's filled with promise. It's filled with hope. And sometimes more than what we can even contain when we look at life through God's Word. And so if we're struggling with what's the use issues, you know, if we're struggling with that kind of an attitude, what's the use? Uh, I want to challenge us today to remind ourselves to remember a couple things. Three things, basically. Three foundational truths that I see here in this verse 17. Three foundational truths of the Christian life. First of all, I want you to remind yourself that what you're dealing with today is nothing compared to what lies ahead. Um, Our challenge is to get our eyes off the current situation and on to the the fullness of our inheritance in Christ. When we see clearly the inheritance that awaits us, 
we understand that any difficulties that we are facing today are truly, as Paul says, light and momentary. I mean, think about it. Think, think of this for a second. Imagine you, you got your dream job. All your life you've been achieving this, and now you're there. The ultimate job. You have incredible pay. Six figures, full benefits, wonderful hours. A corner office with the view of the skyline, or better yet, maybe the ocean. <laughs> a supportive boss. A culture of cooperation on your team, among your coworkers that you've never experienced before. And you have free food, free donuts, free coffee, free everything. They feed you. It's a perfect job. Except for one thing. You shuffle a lot of papers in this job. And when you're shuffling papers on your desk, pretty regularly you get one of those nasty paper cuts. Have you ever had a paper cut? It's just, they're just nasty. Not a big deal. But it hurts. And unfortunately in this job it happens almost every day. And after a couple of months, you're like, I can't handle this. I'm just going to turn in my notice. I mean, some people don't realize this, but, you know, paper cuts can be very annoying. Have you ever tried to peel an orange or a lemon when you had a paper cut? You didn't know it? It's not fun. <laughs> it hurts. You ever try to play the guitar with a paper cut? Tie your shoe? Knit, write, type? Even swiping your iPad or your iPhone is a problem. Now, I'm not overstating my case when I talk about how traumatic a paper cut can be, except you know that I am overstating my case. It would be ridiculous, right, to leave such a cushy job over such a minor inconvenience of a paper cut. It's a small price to pay for such perfect working conditions. See, this is what Paul is trying to communicate here to us. That the problems that we're facing right now, they're simply like a paper cut. They're nothing, absolutely nothing, compared to the fullness of your inheritance in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says back in Romans chapter 8, Romans 8 verse 18, he tells us very very plainly, very clearly. And this, this is a guy that's going through it. He understands this. But he says in Romans eight eighteen, he says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subject to futility. There's that word. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation... But look at this. He says, we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly <clears throat> wait eagerly <clears throat> for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And it says, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, Paul understood what was going on with all the suffering, with everything that he was enduring. If whatever is happening in the moment is all you can see, and you can see nothing else, or you choose to see nothing else, then you know what? That little paper cut can be really annoying (laughs) if that's all you're focusing on. It's the worst thing imaginable. But if you can see beyond that moment, and you can see what God is doing and the future that he has planned for you and the eternity that you will spend with him according to his word, then you know what? A little paper cut doesn't mean anything. It's like a bump in the road. That's what our problems are. That's what our issues are. That's what all the, the afflictions that we have in this life are. And it's important to understand that when we talk about God's plan for the future, we're not just talking about heaven. Yes, ultimately that's where we, we wait and we, we, we long for that. That's where our inheritance ultimately awaits us. But God also has blessings for us now, for each and every one of us in this life. He wants us to experience now. There are victories that he wants us to experience now. And these light and momentary troubles that we have to endure like a paper cut each and every day are not even to be compared to the blessings that he wants to pour out on your family, your job, and your life. So we have to remember that. Remember the fact, the, the simple promise that you know what, um, we don't want to miss the, the, the point that you know, what we're dealing with today is nothing compared to what lies ahead. Well, secondly, he also says here, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What I'm dealing with today is doing me more good than harm. This is part of God's process for us. Um, In other words, Paul says even the trials that we face as a country, as individuals, as a family, in our marriages, with our children, whatever, all those troubles, all those uh, afflictions sometimes, they're working for us, not against us. It's hard to get our mind around that. Like Paul suffering and, and being persecuted, Um, believers must view earth through heaven's eyes, through God's eyes. And when you weigh in the balance the believer's eternal reward in heaven, any pain that we experience here on earth, is it just amounts to nothing. Because it's compared to something that's so incredible. Paul expressed the proper perspective on that when he says it's, it's momentary. 
for this light momentary affliction. Uh, it's just here today, gone tomorrow. It's, it's like a vapor. Now, Paul's affliction was constant. It wasn't something that he could just you know, brush off. He was faced with affliction each and every day. It was constant. It was intense. But he had the right perspective. He viewed it as momentary. He viewed it as light. Um, it, what that word means is easy to bear, almost insignificant in view of eternity. Um, James 4.14 says, life is just a vapor that appears here for a little while and then it vanishes away. You know, you ever made a hot cup of tea and you look at the vapor coming off the, the cup and it's just, just, just gone. You only see it for a second, millisecond, and then it dissipates into the air. That's what our life is like in view of eternity. And in Ecclesiastes, it says that after that, you know, man goes to his eternal home. Um, to the Romans, he wrote in, in, in Romans um, 8, 17 18, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. See, suffering has to come if we're ever going to have glorification. And so Peter even described this in 1 Peter chapter 1. When he wrote this, he describes our, our heavenly inheritance. And he wrote this, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, Peter's saying, you know what? It's, it's all worth it. We don't want to lose heart. We don't want to think that things are just futile in and of themselves. A good example of that is, like we said, Paul himself. What was his dream? His dream was to go to Rome. He wanted to do ministry there among the believers. But that's not what happened. That's not what worked out in his life. He did go to Rome, <laughs> but how did he go? He went in shackles. He went to Rome where he was what? Put in prison. I'm sure that wasn't in the game plan. Uh, it appeared from the look of things that pretty much all of Paul's ministry plans had come to a screeching halt. So what did he say? Well, here's where I throw in the towel. Here's where I raise the right white flag, call it quits. I don't, I don't see where Paul says, well, it looks like the devil won this one. No, I don't see that. I don't see that anywhere in his writings. Instead, what does he say in Philippians chapter 1? He says this, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, the idea of being thrown in prison and all this, being persecuted, has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of all, the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
What's Paul saying? He's like, you know what? I'm glad I'm in prison because it's working out for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm glad that I've gone through this trial or this tribulation. Now I can encourage someone else when they go through that trial or tribulation. You know, there are things that we experience in life that if it was up to us, we would not choose to experience those things. Would you agree? There are things that fall into our lap sometimes that we go, no, I don't want this. But that's God's plan. And so when that happens, you either have the, the wherewithal to look at that and deny it or run from it or just embrace it and say, okay, God, what's next <laughs> on this adventure? I mean, most people would say, I'm in prison for preaching the gospel. That's the worst possible thing that could happen. But Paul says, you know what? I take it as a win. Praise the Lord. You think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Here are his brothers. Take Joseph. They sold him into slavery. You know the story. And, I mean, when you, when you look at that story, an outside observer would look at that story. They never guessed what God, how God would use this situation to save his people to save a nation and bring honor to his people. You would say, wow, this, this, is, this shouldn't be happening this way. But God had a plan. God had a purpose. And what happened? Well, later on, when Joseph and his brothers had a chance to clear the air, <laughs> he said to them in Genesis fifty twenty, you intended to harm me. Remember this verse? But what God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. See, sometimes we don't recognize the very fact that what we're going through, whether it's a hardship or whether it's a trial or tribulation, whatever it is, that this is from God's hand. And even as a country, when we go through these difficult times, we need to trust, you know what, God is allowing this for a purpose. So you can fight all you want against it, but you're, you're fighting against the very hand of God. I'm not saying we don't stand up for what's right and we don't pursue righteousness in our, in our government, in our country, and all those things. But also we have to realize that, you know what, I don't, I don't see where God brings up the United States as far as Bible prophecy goes in the end times. I don't know where we're at. I don't know where we fall in that. It's not mentioned, basically, I would say. So I don't know if we're eaten up by another country or whatever. We join forces with somebody else, become part of the EU. Who knows? But you know what? That's okay. God is sovereign. God is over all this. This is an important point to remember. What you're dealing with today isn't happening to you. It's happening for you. Even the hardship it's happening for you. God has a purpose in it. It's happening for the benefits of others around you. Because God takes every situation, according to Romans eight twenty eight, every situation, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything, <clears throat> and he causes all things to what? You know the verse. To work together for good. For his purpose. For his cause. To those that are committed to him. And a lot of times, you know, my wife will watch these mystery murder things on TV, you know. And they're kind of fun to watch. But usually, you know, it involves a detective and a murder, and they're trying to figure this out. 
And a, a lot of times they'll come up with evidence that almost seems like, oh, I know, that's pointing to this person. That, that's the person that did it. But really, it's, it's a character or certain evidence meant to make you think that, to take you down that path, uh, when at the end of the show, that's not the case at all. And a lot of people, they'll call those things red herrings. You know, you're following a red herring. You're, you're, you know, it, the job of a red herring is what? To distract you, to keep you looking in the wrong direction, to keep you focused on the wrong thing. So there's an element of surprise at the end of the show when you think, oh, all the evidence is pointing to this person, but well, that person did it. And see, sometimes in life we fall for the red herrings. Even though people like Angela Lansbury and Perry Mason, they never do, you know. Colombo, you know, they're, they're really focused. But look at it this way. The situation you're faced with, the situation is put on your plate today, or put up, be possibly put on your plate tomorrow, whatever. Um, it's a red herring. It's a red herring. It wants you to look only at that issue. It wants you to look only at that problem, but not the solution. And you can have that attitude toward our own country. You can have that attitude toward your job, your marriage, whatever, raising your children. It wants you to only see your sin but not your salvation. See, as a believer, we need to understand that, yeah, we need to be convicted of our sins when we sin, and we do, and the Holy Spirit does convict us, and we, what do we do? We repent, we come to the Lord, we confess our sin, which basically means we say the same thing that God does. It's wrong. I don't want to do this anymore. Here, Lord, help me to live in a way that's honoring to you. Fill me with your spirit again, and let's move on. The problem with a lot of believers is they get stuck in a rut. They fall in their sin, and they're stuck in a hole with their sin, and that's all they see. And they fail to see the forgiveness that God has provided. They fail to see the the provision of God's grace. They fail to see anything but their sin. And so what do they do? They get discouraged. They become discontent. They become, they feel shameful. So what do they do? They stop coming to church. Why? Because somebody like me could go to church. I'm just a hypocrite. I'm just this. I'm just that. I mean, you can think that all day long. The fact is, if you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for your sins, your sins are forgiven, period. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. But see, this, this kind of thinking wants us to see only our sin, not our salvation. Only the problem, not the solution. It wants us to see only the wounds and the scars, but not the, the victory that may be right around the corner. See, don't be hoodwinked by that kind of a thinking. See this moment for what it is. God is using circumstances in your life to your advantage right this very moment. Even though they may be hard to deal with, recognize it, remember it. I think even with this past election, God had, had turned some things around because of the very fact that people were getting focused on the wrong things. Well, the third thing here today, and the third point 
I want you to remember is not just simply that what you're dealing with today is nothing to compare to what lies ahead. And secondly, what you're dealing with today is doing more good for you than harm. But thirdly, what I'm dealing with today is merely a short-term situation. (laughs) It's a short-term situation. Look at what he says. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far, far outweighs them all. Uh, He says our our problems are, are light. Now, they may seem heavy. They may seem difficult if you have the wrong perspective. And the glory that awaits us is heavy. That's kind of what he says. Um, He considers the weight of this glory. Think about glory. I mean, if you think about that word glory for a moment, um, you know, it has some weight to it. You know, when you think of the glory of God, you don't think of something that's trivial or trite. You think of something that has some weight to it. And what Paul says here is, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. He says, our, our problems are light and the glory that awaits us is heaven. When you think of something heavy, what do you think about? A rock, granite, right? Marble, something that's just got some oomph to it. Something that's not going to just slip or falter or fail in any way. When you think of the weight of glory, think of a ton of granite. See, some types of success are here today and gone tomorrow. Would you agree? (laughs) But not the inheritance that God has planned for you. Not the inheritance that God has planned for us. Uh, It's not going anywhere. It's solid. It's secure. It's set in stone. It will never, ever budge. It will always be there. That's, that's the glory we're talking about. This future glory that we will one day possess is something that's, that's solid. And now think about your, your affliction or your problem or whatever you may be facing today. Think of this, a dandelion. <laughs> you know, when it, the dandelion gets all those little fuzzy things on it. My, my granddaughter, we were up in Sandpoint, Idaho, and she was, had a, a dandelion. And she just lightly blew on it, and it just, and it was gone. It just had the stem left, you know. It was so fragile, so fragile. Have you ever noticed there's no fortresses, there's no houses built from dandelion twigs? Why? Because dandelions are fragile. Uh, their existence is fleeting at best. It takes a mere breath to make all their little dandelion uh, pieces fly away. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you know what? Your problems today, compared to the blessings that God has in store for you, 
are like the difference between a dandelion and a mountain made of granite. That's, that's the imagery here. That granite isn't going anywhere. But one, one poof, one little breath, and that dandelion is gone. Remember when David, the teenager, he fought that giant Goliath in the Old Testament. You know how the story ends, right? He didn't listen to what his brothers said. He didn't listen to what the rest of the army was saying to him. And they were all saying that, well, this Goliath, there's no way. He's, he's an undefeatable undefeat, foe. You can't go up against somebody like this. No, David said in 1 Samuel 17, 26, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? <laughs> you can just hear the contempt in his voice. Who is this guy, this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then he said to the, the giant Goliath, you come against me. Now remember, he's a teenager, probably a little runt. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. What a bold statement to make. He was saying, in effect, Goliath, you know what? You're a dandelion. <laughs> You're nothing. Poof. Bye. And I'm standing here on the rock of ages. I'm not going anywhere. And every difficulty that we face in life, day to day, is a dandelion compared to God's power. Even those problems that are sometimes most painful and persistent ultimately pale in light of God's eternal glory. When it says there, the eternal weight of glory I mean, it, it has the idea that there's something ahead of us that's so far beyond our comprehension, we can't even comprehend what it will be like. In the Greek text, it literally uses a word where we get the word hyperbole from. And it, it forms a double expression. It says beyond out of all proportion, there's no way you're ever going to understand this eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What's interesting, if you turn back to the beginning of 2 Corinthians, go back to chapter 1, and look at verse 8. Paul says this, not only can you look forward to this glory that's beyond everything, he says, we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, verse 8, chapter 1, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. So he's talking about these trials. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. That's the same word, the same hyperbole word that he uses for the glory. He uses it for these afflictions. We are so utterly beyond burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. He said he goes on, he says he felt like they'd experienced the sentence of death. 
And so he uses it both of the intensity of his sufferings, but he also uses the same word saying, that's nothing because my eternal state, the glory that I'm about to experience in the presence of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Paul was saying, that there's nothing, nothing can be compared to that. That word glory comes from the same root word meaning heavy, as I said before. And so when we talk about suffering, it, it produces that eternal uh, weight of glory. It's, it's suffering for whose sake? It's suffering for the, the, the sake of Christ. It's suffering that honors Him. So whether suffering comes from being a, a faithful, loyal, committed believer in Jesus Christ, or whether you're being patient as you endure the normal trials in life, such as disease or poverty or loneliness, whatever it might be. When you endure all that with a humble, grateful, God-honoring attitude, it will add to that eternal weight of glory that we will experience one day. We're adding to the pot. There's going to be a greater glory awaiting for us. Now, some people suffer because of the consequences of sin, right? You don't do the right thing and there's consequences. Sin always has consequences. Um, that doesn't contribute to your eternal weight of glory, even though you're going through suffering as a result of that. So you have to remind ourselves, we have to remind ourselves on a daily basis that, you know what, this situation will not last, but we will. We will persevere through it. King Sisyphus was sentenced to a never-ending process of pushing this boulder up this hill, only to have it roll back down to the bottom again. And today, his name is really synonymous with futility. And for believers, that word does not exist. It shouldn't be in our vocabulary. There's nothing that we do in service to the God that we serve that could qualify as being futile. Because God is causing all things to work together for his good, for your good and his glory. He redeems even our light and momentary troubles. So to see them for what they are in comparison to what he has prepared for us is, is really, it, it makes them like a dandelion or a paper cut. It's nothing. It's a temporary distraction. And so rather than focusing on our light and momentary troubles as a nation or as individuals, we need to focus instead on what God wants to accomplish in our life. What God wants to do through us as a church as we reach out to a lost and dying world who doesn't have the truth. They don't understand the gospel. They don't understand that there's only one way of salvation through Christ and Christ alone. They think, oh no, there's many ways. I just got to be a good person. I just got to go to church. I got to do this. I got to do that. None of those things will assure you eternal life. Only one. And that's putting your faith, your trust, in the Lord Jesus Christ, crying out to him in the midst of your affliction and your troubles, Lord, save me. Give me the grace to understand the gospel. Help me to understand the depravity of my sin. Help me to cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I mean, some of our troubles will be resolved, no doubt, in the not too distant future, in weeks, months, years to come, whatever. 
But eventually, those troubles will find their resolution in eternity. But you can be sure that God will redeem each and every one of those troubles that he allows into your life, each and every tribulation, each and every affliction. Our God is not a, a boulder of, of utility that rolls up and down the hill. He's a rock. And he never rolls, he never moves. He's a stone that can't be moved. His glory outweighs every light and momentary difficulty that we may face, whether you're dealing with it today or tomorrow or the next day. It will not last forever. The good thing is we will. We are eternal. And that's God's promise that he will hold on to us for all eternity if we just surrender and if we just trust in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our souls. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we pray that you would help us to um, keep in perspective life, whether it's life as a nation, life as an individual. Help us to understand that all these things are temporary. They're, they're not eternal. Everything around us All the things that we possess, it's temporary. The moment we leave this earth, we won't take any of that stuff with us. And Lord, it's a good reminder. There's nothing wrong with having things and enjoying them, but Father, it's also good to understand that, wow, we don't want those things to have us. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to keep our lives in perspective and also to keep the work of the ministry in perspective. And Father, this isn't a futile work. This isn't a, a work that goes unnoticed by you. But Father, when we're faithful to your word, when we're faithful to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you will use that in the hearts and minds of people, that you will draw men and women and children to yourself. Lord, people who have no hope outside of Christ, they live all around us in this Bay Area. They think they... God, everything's solved. Everything's worked out. But Lord, if they were honest and to really contemplate their own eternal soul, they would come up short. And Father, I pray that you would lead people across our path who are open to the truth of the gospel, that we would be willing to share with them the glorious fact that if we are willing to look at ourselves as sinners, recognize our own sin before a holy God and turn from that sin and turn to the Savior, the only answer for our forgiveness. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. The scriptures tell us that there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very exclusive salvation. It's not all-inclusive, as the world would have us to believe. We can't just all coexist and think that everything's going to be fine. And so, Lord, I pray today, if there's anyone here who needs to trust you, Lord, that you would do that work in their heart to draw them to Christ, to show them their need of a Savior. And as believers, I pray that we'd walk out of here with a spring in our step, knowing that tomorrow is another day and that God has a plan and a purpose, even for the remainder of this day, for us to reach out and to touch someone's heart, someone's life with the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel. 
praying that they would be converted. We ask these things. Pray bless our time across the way and bless the food of our bodies as well. In Jesus' precious name, all God's people said, amen.